Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. I cannot believe that we are now in season four. Happy New Year, and welcome to season four of True Crime on Easy Street. Happy New Year. Wow. That is crazy. Who would have thought? Where did that go? I didn't think it. <laughs> I think we'd ever make it. Not to after that first four. one. <laughs> it was The first one was so bad, we had to do it over again. Uh, yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. Multiple oh, you times. mean I like mean, after we, we did it for the 100th did. episode. Yeah. yeah. Does yeah. anybody have any idea what episode this is? It's got to be in the 130s, 140s. Or is it more than that? Maybe. It's more than that, I, I would think. Well, actually, it's episode it's one probably, of season four. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, we did do that. 52 episodes last that's right. year, though. And the year before as well. Yeah. And did. then we started in April back in 21. So that's, yeah. uh, that's 40 it was, episodes. It was probably 30 something. Season one, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So, yeah, yeah. we so are probably in the, in the 130s. 140s, 150s, maybe even. Holy so, why didn't we count before we brought cow. this up? Somebody out there count. Send us an email, <laughs> truecrimeoneasystreet uh, at gmail.com. Yeah. And let us know. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Um, wow, so, do we. Off to a lazy start this year. I know. My name's Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. Scott Wright, mediocre journalist. Katie Givens, not a lawyer. Not yet. Not yet. No. Still, but, still won't be in season four. Okay. Okay. I did see a doctor recently and got some medicine. So oh yeah. You I sound apologize okay. for my. Uh, You're a little nasally, but not overly. Nasally, yeah. I'm nasally all the time. People tell me so. <laughs> maybe nobody will notice that you are today. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh well. Anyways, I think it was either the last episode or the episode before, and I had barely a voice. So. Yep. <laughs> we're just. Yeah. This is, we're getting this is through. We, yeah. This is what it's we do flu for season. you. This is what we do for <sighs> you. We. We press on. The dedication we in this room. We are the most dedicated podcast you will listen to. Just walking into the studio is, it shows our dedication because it's like a landmine. Yeah. It's, a, <laughs> today, it's an obstacle course Today is the day that it gets that it's, better. It's, I think I know all the words to that year, song by new now. Me. Yeah. <laughs> new year, new office, new studio. Yeah, I was yeah. All, I was off all week, so I didn't come in. And, well, I had to come in one day, but I wasn't doing anything. Oh, okay. That's why this uh, office looks not lived in this week. I mean, the, the, the desk was blank when we walked in and yeah. uh-huh. stepping over things and around things. Okay, Vacation if you haven't been here time, all week. Yeah. yeah, sure. It is. It was the holiday season. So mm-hmm. I hope everybody's off to a good start with their New Year's resolutions. If you do that, if you don't, then I just hope you're having a good day. Yeah. I yeah. texted you mine. Yeah. I'm going to work ahead yep. on podcasts more than I have in the past this year because I'm always in a hurry. It always seems like Saturday night or Sunday morning before we come in and record at 10 a.m. on Sundays, I'm always, uh, I need to do this or look at one more thing. Or yeah. And this week I was, I was finished by Saturday morning. So, and I felt, I was just relieved. I could enjoy my Saturday oh, yeah, more yeah. than I usually do. So not that I don't enjoy doing this, but there wasn't that pressing time. A little bit of a panic if yeah, you're not ready. Yeah, controlled panic, in. but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. I've had it before coming in, trying to. I'm not going to have it this notes. year if I can help it. That's awesome. That's a great. It, now, are you going to have a New Year's resolution where Denny doesn't do your job half the time? Ugh. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's Wednesday as you listen at home. I've probably already broken that by now. <laughs> Denny probably wishes that would be your Oh, resolution. boy, she does. <laughs> it's too late. Sorry, Denny. Katie, when do classes start? Ooh, Nick, well, if we're listening to this on Wednesday next week, mm. we get the first week of the year off. At and least then you get we one get one more back. weekend. Yes, with the Christmas break is the longest break we have. Other than that, we yeah. get, you know, a week here and there. Yeah. I'm back at work today as you listen. Oh, yes. Uh, me so as well. will I be. I went, I was back at work yesterday as you listened. As was I. Yeah. So, yeah. At least take, we had Monday off. Yeah. yeah. We take the, you know, the first and then. 
after the big celebration we had Sunday night for New Year's Eve at Easy Street, I'm guessing it probably came in handy for a lot of folks. <laughs> that off day of rest and yeah, the, uh, sobering up. The big show uh, Sunday night for New Year's Eve. We are talking about it like it's already happened. And as we are talking, it has not. That happens tonight. Yeah. Well, um, as you listen, it has already. Do y'all eat all the foods on New Year's Day? Is that a th- Every year. I do this do every you? year. You do the turnip greens and black eyed peas. Yeah, because Kevin and I had a serious discussion yesterday because he was talking about all this food that he's going to make because Alabama, well, has, has played. They yeah. play yeah. on New Year's Day. Right. Yeah. And he has all this food that he's making for his Alabama party. Right. And I said, oh, before you leave you have a few things to eat here mm-hmm. at home for lunch. So the turnip like greens, the that? black eyed peas. No, he's like, I'll get a spoonful. <laughs> he literally gets one spoonful of each every year. But and I do the cornbread and the, and the pork. Well, there's not, there's not a required amount to no. eat. Is there? So he's no. technically, he just, he, he toes that line every year, yeah. but I have heard, and I don't know why I've never heard this before, that some people eat 12 grapes. At New Year's. Yeah. At 12, yes. Yeah, I, I accidentally stumbled across that a few days ago, and it's something to do, in Spain they do that, I believe, and it's something to do with good luck. I, mm-hmm. I, I forget exactly, but I saw, oh, Spain, okay, that's the tradition Does there. it have to be green grapes, purple grapes? I don't matter? think so. I didn't read that far down. Okay. And uh, if you are single and looking for a partner, Uh-oh. apparently you eat the grapes under a table. Under a and, table. And you'll find love. Well, that's strange. That's what I've learned from TikTok this year. It's very strange. I remember one time at the bar I used to hang out at in college, uh, a couple of people found love under a table one night, but that is a story <laughs> for another time. <laughs> Maybe we better go back and put in the disclaimer. Oh, I just won't okay. tell the rest of that. Okay, good. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I think you're supposed to eat the grapes alone okay. under the well, table. They were Well, happy. because you are alone if you are needing to eat them under the no, table. They were well, I mean, but if you're together. eating them under the table and all of a sudden someone joins you, then I guess they worked. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> you know, now that I think about it, it may have been New Year's Day when that happened. <laughs> Never mind. So, anyways. I've got shout outs. Oh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Joy Talbert. Hey, Joy. Messaged messaged us on Facebook and told us to keep up the good work. She also suggested a story that I've added to the list. Perfect. Yeah. Love that. Nice. And uh, friend of the K, uh, friend of the Cade show gossip, friend of the show, (laughs) Cade gossip, texted me. uh, Last week over the holiday season to let us know that he and some members of his family, he didn't mention who, but they were driving from, uh, his home in Charleston, South Carolina, back home for the holidays here into Cherokee County, Alabama. So that's a 400-mile drive, six hours. They listened to our JFK episodes mm. and then had a very engaging discussion, he said, oh, about nice. what they thought okay. happened. Mm. And he didn't give me any details, but yeah. just wanted to let us know that he listened. And that uh, it was thought-provoking? Yeah. They had a conversation, a conversation he said. That's, so. that's what we want to do. Thank that's you, what Cade. we're about. That's awesome. Thanks, Cade. Uh, is any more? Do we nope. have any more shout outs? Uh, there, that's all I've got. We'll save in the notes some today. if we have. Yeah. So if you have commented or told us something, we're going to get to you. Be we patient. promise. Yeah. That's our New Year's resolution as a team of experts. Yep. To get to all of our shout outs. We're going to get there. Yeah. Um, and speaking of the holiday season, I am drinking coffee today out of the mug that Katie got me for Christmas. Yes, it says Feliz Navidad. Yeah, and I'm wearing the Podfather t-shirt that <laughs> Kelly got me. 
<laughs> I'm curious, did either of you guys finish the $2 million puzzles that I no. gave you for the holidays? Well, Not yet. Katie got hers for her birthday. No, and I keep saying, I keep telling Ellison that we are going to start that puzzle and we have yet to You guys may be leaving $2 million just sitting out there in the ether. And I knew that you hadn't done it because you wouldn't be here in the studio today. You would be in the Caribbean (laughs) with your new friends if you had won the $2 million Um, or the $1 million. Nate and I are working on it, but... It's a very random... uh, I got Denny one as well. And uh, she had, she was sort of babysitting a friend of hers who comes to the office and hangs out. Uh, and she's a 13 year old girl and she was working on it for want of something else to do. And I could, she had worked enough of it that I could tell that it's a very obscure design. It's some sort of repeating. It literally looks pattern. well, cause it's a QR a code. QR code. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's really hard. It's a hard puzzle. I am excited to start it. But it is a, it's really a cool gift. I like stuff like that. So well, I awesome. wasn't fishing for a compliment, but I will take it. Thank but if you. I win the $2 million, I will tell y'all, but I will not put it on air. Yeah. Well, I think they'll all know when you're Scott not on the show tell anymore. If you don't uh, tell <laughs> them as you know what? It, I don't know if uh, $2 million is enough to quit my job. I'm not, I don't, I'm not old enough, you know, yeah, like I'm going to, yeah, you have I'll a lifetime here. of earnings. Uh, <laughs> We're, uh, if it's me, I'm in, gone. Inflation has happened. So yes. I don't think 2 million. Yeah, 2 million doesn't go as far as it used to anymore. But yeah. I'm, but I still won't put it on the air. Cause I got, I got I family. Am. I don't need calling me. Understood. <laughs> you guys watch any, uh, good movies over the holiday season. I've got one that I want to mention. Go ahead because I did, but I got to think of them. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Okay. So there's this movie on Amazon prime called, Salt burn. Oh yeah, have you seen, seen it, it yet? No. I, I am about thirty percent in. No. How did you stop? Well, I had to stop, okay. and actually, no, I'm more than that. I'm probably over halfway in, and I stopped at a terrible oh, part. Yeah, like there, it's it's a very Wikipedia calls the movie a black comedy psychological drama. Uh, underline psychological because it is one of those movies that hangs around with you for a couple of days after you see it. See, and um, That's why I wonder why, because by the time you get halfway through it, I mean, it's kind of like a roller coaster ride, and you're tick, 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 up to the apex, but once you go over the top, hold on. Okay. Buckle up and grab the handrail, because, but, wow. Yeah, and it's, but it's kind of a movie like I was going to watch by myself, mm-hmm. and so now that I'm, especially now that I'm halfway through, I can't bring anyone else in. You have to wait until it's you're also, alone. also, yeah, not for children. Not at all. Okay. Not so at not all. A, totally adult. It's it's not for me. I mean, it's not for adults, I think, but it's it's weird. It's, <laughs> Who is in this? Uh, Barry Cogan. He's an know. Irish actor. Uh, uh, Rosamund Pike. Jacob British Elordi. actress. Okay, I've heard that yeah. all of this sounds very familiar. I bet once I see these people, I will understand. Carrie know, Mulligan is in it. This. Okay, yes. And she was in a movie called Promising Young Woman uh, two or three years back. Written by the same woman who wrote this movie this and directed it. It's called Saltburn. Saltburn. Yeah, all one, one word. word. Saltburn. It is the name of the English country estate where a lot of the movie uh, takes place. Okay. Okay. And so we're probably not saying it right. I mean, like we're probably no, putting emphasis on no, they, the wrong thing. They No, they call Salt it Saltburn. Saltburn. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, they it's, they're it all British. The okay. Yeah. I got you. And right. Jacob Elordi is the guy. He was in Euphoria and now he is Elvis in the Priscilla movie. Gosh, I bet I when I see his face, I will yeah. know. Because I'm going to watch that. It's, now I'm intrigued. It's interesting. I, yeah, watch it by yourself. I turned on the Barbie movie to to start it. And this is what happens to me. I'm home by myself and I'm cleaning and I'm doing, you know, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And no one ever comes home. And then the minute I sit down and I turn <gasps> a movie on, everybody comes home. I literally, this was a record 
I got 46 seconds into Barbie <laughs> before that door opened and someone came in and yeah. I was like, well. I have started Barbie, but not yet finished it. And I want to. So uh, I want to watch that, but I'm going to watch this first, I think. Yeah. it's. Uh, yeah. I need to finish it because that's the only thing I've watched on TV this whole break. Okay. And I didn't even get to, I didn't even finish it. I'm reading a really good book. So, so my time is being spent. You want to talk about it? Well, it's, uh, it's kind of funny and kind of quirky, which is what I like. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, it's called assistant to the villain. Ooh, that sounds it's interesting. About this girl who ends up being an assistant to the local is villain a, in the is village. It, is it a true crime? No. Story? It's, okay. It's fiction. No, it's, it's like back in, you know, like, Robin Hood days, I guess. Okay. You know, old England. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And uh, she's, you know, just finds her way as the interesting <laughs> local villain. All right. I want to borrow assistant. it. Or do um, I? You think I would like it? On my iPad. Oh, never uh, mind. All right. Yeah, I'll look yeah, it up. Sorry. I've okay. started a, a book series that Ellison had read and she's been talking about. So sitting around and started it. And I haven't read a physical book in a long time. Oh, and I forget, like, can't like you have to sit a certain way and you know hold the book and that's a whole yeah thing I know that's, that's the on. one thing that when I grab a book I usually I read on my Kindle now Same. yeah but every once in a while I'll still I'll grab something off my bookshelf that uh, you know I want I just want to hold a book in my hand yeah but after twenty minutes I'm uncomfortable and it's you know my my hand hurts from holding the pages or the book open if it's a, if it's a bigger book or a hardback yeah and so I'm like why didn't I just Get this on the Kindle and be done with it. I actually prefer a book, but driving to the bookstore to get it was going to take me, you know, 30 minutes. Yeah. Pushing purchase on my iPad. Ting. Seconds. So, yes. Ellison has so many books. She told me, she informed me the other day she was going to need a new bookshelf. Because like that is her. That thing. is a she, great problem. To yeah, have. she loves. It's a great. Buying and if she's done with a lot of them, she can donate them to the library. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do that every that. year. Yeah. True, but she box. likes to see those books sitting on that bookshelf. Well, that's her thing. Yeah. Is yeah. she needs a new bookshelf. That, yeah, I like to read. I love that. I, my whole life, I've liked to read, and I mm-hmm. I remember getting a bookshelf and couldn't wait to fill it up. And I had this <sighs> thing: I'm not putting a book on that bookshelf until I've read it. That's awesome. Oh, that's I love yeah. That. She, yeah. It's like, they she has several she hasn't read. They sure. don't get put in the trophy case until they're finished. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Love Her that. thing is like, and I never thought about this. This was never a thing of mine. She hates when a spine of a book is cracked. Oh, I, that's, oh. No, 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 I no, love no, no, that. No. That that shows that, that you've read you've had it. some yeah. miles on that. Yeah. I remember reading a story years ago about J.K. Rowling. Somebody had gone to a book signing back when the Harry Potter books were huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy had his brand new copy of whichever book it was in the series. And he was at the book signing and he walked up to her to, to have the book signed. And he was aghast, he said later, when the first thing she did was she took that book and she cracked it open. And he was like, ah, you split the spine. And she said, that's how you know you read it. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, she, ha- and apparently Shane hates that too, because I borrowed a book of hers to take to the beach last year. And I mean, because I'm going to lay a book flat. Yeah, sure. Like, but no, I had to buy her. Another, she's read this book already. I had to buy another copy of this book because I, I destroyed that one. Apparently, I don't get that. <laughs> and so now I'm That's reading what the dust jacket is. For. I'm reading this series like, <laughs> like you know, barely cracking the dang book open because I don't want to ruin the spine. Right. Oh man. No, all of our books have, you know, the spines are damaged. There may be some water damage because we've read them in the tub. That's exactly yeah, what right. I said. I said, I will get it wet. Like, I don't yeah, care. You shake yeah. it and sand comes out because you read it at the beach last <laughs> exactly. summer. Exactly. That's, that's the sweet spot. I love yeah, it. But I to, agree. to each her own. Yeah. So, sure. good job, Allison. What a great hobby to have is 
to, to love to, to read and to have those books. I never in my that. life regretted the fact that I've always loved to read. There's never yeah, been one absolutely. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys know what's happening at Easy Street on Friday, July. I'm, I'm sorry, January the 19th. Is that correct? Yes. I've heard. The damned Velcro Pygmies are going to be here for the first time. I've already bought my tickets. They're $16.50 online. Yeah. And I can't if you wait. Know the, the if you know pygmies. Scott, I mean, planning to be somewhere this far in advance, yeah. that's crazy. Especially that late at night on a weekend, because usually by nine o'clock, I'm in bed uh, <laughs> with the dogs on top of me holding the remote or reading a book. I know Shane did say that you said that you couldn't come to the New Year's show because it was too late, but you yep. have already bought your Velcro. I have made an exception <laughs> for the Velcro Pygmies. I've seen the Pygmies so many times yeah. over the years back in college. Yep. I mean, wow. I feel like it's great. It's been enough times for me that Cameron, he doesn't know my name, the lead singer, but I'm sure he recognizes my face. <laughs> in the crowd when he sees me. I'll just wave and he gives me that acknowledged nod like, oh yeah, you again. <laughs> so that'll be fun. I haven't There's seen him in a long weirdo. time. There's that weirdo. The guy who doesn't leave until the show is over and asks if he can help load the trailer. Now, I get them confused a little bit sometimes with US Band. Which one of them used to give out the blow pops? That's, uh, that's, Velcro that's pygmies. the Pygmies. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. So I they used to come all the time to the supper club at Auburn. Okay. Now that's so. a blast from the past. Oh, oh wow. that is, yeah. That is a blast. They that are is no longer really there. Good. No, they're, they're a really fun band. So if you... Um, if you're so inclined, go get your, yeah. get online and, and, and get hurry. your tickets. Yeah, because yeah. they'll they, it will sell out. Big yeah, time. with it being a ticketed event, there's only so many. You know, it's not just a free for all. So mm-hmm. get those tickets. Which may be weird uh, to watch because usually when you see the pygmies, it is a free for all. <laughs> I mean, literally, just you know, the, there's a mosh pit down in front of the stage, and uh, it's <laughs> the windows are rattling and. Dust is falling off the rafters. It's going to be interesting to see how it works. It'll be fun. Yeah. Um, you guys ready? You going to yeah. tell us a story? Let's do uh, it. If you, want, if you want to hear it, I got one. Let's do it. If there's a lead character in today's story, it's a person we've already talked about. Jimmy Burke. I'll remind you. That was a character played by Robert De Niro in the film Goodfellas. Okay. He was Jimmy Conway in the book, or in the film, but his real name, the guy that it was actually based on that character, his name is Jimmy Burke. And we talked about that last September, season three, episode 39. That was part of our Mafia in America series. Okay. Which technically this is another installment of, and we have talked about this. We're going to keep doing this Mafia in America thing from time to time. Just insert them here and there uh, as the show goes along. This is sort of one of those. So like I said, De Niro played the character named Jimmy Conway. But that was the real-life Jimmy Burke. And Burke was still alive when the movie came out in 1990, so that's why they changed his name in the film. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. A lot of, lot of Jimmys. Yeah. So, and Martin Scorsese did not want to pay Burke for the right to use his name because they did have to pay Henry Hill $480,000, I found out, to use his name and his story in the film. Now, Burke was a mob associate. And he was Henry Hill's mentor. If you've seen the film, this is going to sound familiar. And we talked about Goodfellas when we did that uh, part three of that series. And basically, the third act in Goodfellas, slightly embellished, but only slightly, it's this story that we're talking about today. And that is something that happened on December the 11th, 1978. It was the robbery of a shipment of cash and jewelry at the JFK International Airport in New York City. About $5 million in cash and nearly a million in jewelry was stolen from a secure storage facility 
owned and operated by Lufthansa Airlines. And $2,024, that's about $28 million. At the time, it was the largest cash robbery in American history. And now what year are we in again? 1978. Okay, so this is pre-security like security at airports. Yes, pre-closed uh, caption TV and security cameras for the most part, yeah. I think of the 70s, I just think of hair everywhere. A lot of well, hair. If bushy you, hair every, every, everywhere. If yeah. you were at Easy Street on New Year's Eve, it was a 70s <laughs> disco. That's right, it was the 70s-themed disco party. Uh, probably a lot of tie-dyed t-shirts. Prob- no. And uh, butterfly collars. Yeah. Bell bottom riches. Bell bottoms. Yeah. yeah. So that was the largest cash robbery until uh, 1997 when $19 million was taken in an armored truck heist in Los Angeles. But the Dunbar armored robbery is another story that I have already put on the list. You love a robbery and a heist. I do. I love those stories. They're, they always intrigue me. And maybe we can smatter that into the, to the lineup somewhere down the road. For now, though, let's get back to the Big Apple in December of 1978. The story that I'm going to tell you about today actually takes place 11 days before John Wayne Gacy was arrested in Chicago. In fact, uh, Gacy's last victim, 15-year-old Robert Priest, he was kidnapped by Gacy on December the 11th, 1978. And recall that young Priest died on his mother's birthday, which was also December the 11th. Kelly's making that face that she makes when she doesn't want to hear about John Wayne Gacy. And who does? Yeah. But we did that in uh, season three, episodes one and two, this time a year ago. Oh, wow. John Wayne Gacy. Anyway, Lufthansa. Lufthansa is a German airline, the second largest airline in all of Europe. Translated into English, the word means air group. And I'm probably going to screw up and say Luftwaffe at some point because I love to watch World War II films. And so I'm going to accidentally say that. So stop me. But Luftwaffe means air war. Lufthansa means air group. So that's why it's similar if you were curious. So they're the flag carrier of Germany, which means they're the number one cargo carrier. They're passengers too, but their cargo arm is huge. Flights all over the world, hauling cargo everywhere. One of the items Lufthansa carried in 1978 was a lot of U.S. currency back to the United States. Uh, U.S. tourists, members of the military, businessmen traveling overseas, they spent their money overseas this is before. This is when they were doing traveler's checks before credit cards were were big. Uh, so they would take their American traveler's money. checks. Oh uh, yeah, the first time I went to Europe in 1998, I took it all in traveler's checks. I've never seen a traveler's check. I don't That's, think you can find um, them anymore. We took traveler's checks on our honeymoon. Yeah, to Vail, Colorado. Right. That was just a safe way to travel back yeah. then. And you signed the the you signed on half a, on the bottom left in front of the banker you bought it from, yep. and when you took it to Europe or Vale or wherever. You sign the other line. And as long as those two matched, you got your money. Yep. That was security in 1970. For your item or whatever. Yep. That yeah. is wild. And you got the change in the local currency if there was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so there's all of this money that's overseas and periodically it gets flown back uh, and transferred to New York City to Chase Manhattan Bank, where the money is transferred from the Lufthansa cargo area at the airport to. Chase Manhattan Bank in Midtown Manhattan via an armored truck. But this is not the story of an armored truck robbery. If we do the Dunbar armored robbery, that anniversary will be in September. So pencil this in for that, maybe. If we're still here. If we're still here. (laughs) So the criminals who are involved in today's story, and in one documentary I watched uh, about this robbery, a former FBI agent referred to this band of thieves as, quote, collectively having the IQ of an ashtray. An ashtray. 
Yeah. So, but despite that, these guys came up with this unique scheme to steal all of its money and jewelry. And we will get into the details of that scheme, plot, plan, whatever you want to call it in a few minutes. And the good news about this case is, unlike a lot of the stories we tell here at True Crime on Easy Street is, nobody dies. Sort of. I mean, nobody dies during the time the crime is being committed. Um, it's, only, it's not until a few days after the robbery that the bodies start to pile up. Don't worry, there will be blood. There will be blood. Which makes me curious about something. And I want to ask you guys uh, your opinion. Are we bothered by these deaths I'm going to tell you about since it was a bunch of dirtbags that got killed for doing it anyway? What do you think? I don't know. Tell me. Let me I need more information. Need more information. Okay. Well, it, it got, I was thinking about that. And then, you know, this, this whole thing with Gypsy Rose Blanchard oh, has been in the news Rose. because she got released uh, last week after serving, yeah. what, seven, eight years in prison for yeah. the scheme, the plot to kill her mother. Yeah. Or, or how upset should we be? And I think we've had some listeners who've reached out to us and said, hey, what do you think about that? Are we upset? I I don't want to be delicate. I never. The woman died, but she was a dirtbag too. I never thought Gypsy Rose should have gone to jail. Okay. There's your opinion. I didn't. uh, I think she had to go to jail for a little while. She was, um, in my opinion, a kidnapped victim, equivalent to a kidnapped victim Mm -hmm. in that home. Okay. And, And the person who killed her mother, he's in life. Uh, he's in life in prison without parole. And I... But she, he helped yeah. her escape. Yeah. I think from, that's a little harsh too, considering... I think, I think it was harsh. His yeah. mental yeah. Um, yeah. state. Yep. Mm-hmm. But okay. I yeah. would be okay if both of those individuals were out free. All right. I would be perfectly fine with that. I think maybe, I think maybe a 15-year sentence for him and a five-year sentence for her. I think he needs some... Um, he doesn't supervision. need jail. He doesn't need jail. Okay. Yeah, because if he can be talked into doing what he did, I think he needs some supervision, you know, yeah. just to keep him safe, himself yeah. safe, really. Right. But uh, besides, okay. I don't know if prison, especially like... I think it's wrong that they both were sentenced to anything. I think it's wrong. There we go. All right, so today's story, we're going to break it down into three parts. We're going to talk about the events that led up to the heist. We're going to talk about the robbery itself and then the aftermath. I thought we'd kind of start things off simple in season four, just a basic outline. So if we're going to do that, the first thing we have to do before we introduce our lead character, Jimmy Burke, let's tell you about the airport. So when uh, Idlewild Airport opened in Brooklyn in 19, I'm sorry, in Queens in 1948, we know what today is JFK International because it was renamed after the president after he was assassinated uh, in 1963, mm-hmm. and that's uh, season three back from November, if you want to hear about that. Now, Jimmy Burke got his nickname, The Gentleman, The Gent, he was called, uh, because he used to leave money in the wallets of the truck drivers. That was how Jimmy made his money. He would hold up trucks. There's a scene in the beginning of Goodfellas that kind of uses this information. But when they got the driver out of the truck, Jimmy would stick a $50 bill in the driver's wallet. He would take his driver's license and say, all right, I know where you live. If you turn me in, I'm going to come kill your family. But then he'd put a $50 bill in the guy's wallet and toss it back to him. So they called it, he got the nickname, The Gent, for this. Well, now that is like, okay. Yeah. Like a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. (laughs) For that driver. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for dinner and the new pair of shoes, but you did just stick a gun in my face. Yeah. So Burke's uh, headquarters was a bar. It was called Robert's Lounge. 
And it was just a few minutes from the airport. Literally, uh, you will hear Burke's regular cast of characters referred to in the documentaries and the literature that you read about this case as the Roberts Lounge crew. Is the bar still there? I don't know, but I want to go to it if it is. Uh, Every cop in town, though, knew that they knew what was going on at Roberts Lounge. They knew that that's where Jimmy Burke hung out and they were either counting the money from their last robbery, their last scheme, or they were plotting their next one. And at that time, New York, uh, in New York, the mafia was woven into the fabric of a large majority of the shipping in the city, especially the trucking. The mafia controlled the Teamsters, they controlled the unions, and practically all of the cargo that the Teamsters hauled out of JFK was insured. And we're talking about all kinds of merchandise, guys. Dresses, furs, lobsters, cigarettes, coffee, televisions, watches, jewelry. All of these items were in demand, and Jimmy Burke and his guys basically made a very nice living. A million dollars a year, I read. Getting their hands on these items, and then selling them out of the back of their bar. So the cops knew all this was going on. Every cop knew it. The thing was, a lot of cops back then in New York City, they were on the take, and that's how they got away with it. Nothing ever was done about what was going on at Robert's Lounge until... December the 11th, 1978, and we're getting there. So a lot of times when Burke and his guys robbed these trucks, they were stealing merchandise that they'd been tipped off about what was in these trucks because the truck drivers hung around at Robert's Lounge. They didn't care. The, 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 the loot was insured, the cargo, mm-hmm. and they were going to get 50 bucks in their wallet. So these truckers hung around at the same bars like Robert's Lounge with these mafia guys so after these thefts took place, the truck driver would walk to a nearby payphone, which was everywhere at the time. It wasn't hard to find a payphone. I'll give you 50 bucks if you can find one in Cherokee County today. Uh, maybe not 50 bucks. Well, but I was about to say, because there's, it does, I don't think it works, but there's still that one that sits out um, at the old pump house. Isn't it still? I don't like know. There? The, the pump house is closed. So surely somebody thought to disconnect the payphone. No, it doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. But I think it's like. I don't know. Uh, that'll be gone next week because that's a collector's item, probably. Oops, sorry, AT&T. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but so the truck driver would grab a payphone, call his union rep, report the load is stolen. But usually, almost always, the cops, are, when they asked the truck driver what happened, he didn't remember anybody. He didn't recognize anybody because he had the 50 bucks. He, he was the one who tipped off the load to the mafia to begin with. So it was a big scam. And a lot of times the unions didn't even bother to report the thefts because, like I said, it was insured. And when I say authorities, I mean the New York Police Department and the Port Authority, which was in charge of the security at the docks and the airports in New York and New Jersey. And these truck drivers didn't lose their jobs because, again, the mafia bosses had given their permission for these loads to be taken. It was a pretty good setup for the mafia. And we all had insurance companies anyway. So it was a victimless crime. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that just killed any shot of us ever having an insurance company as a sponsor. We'll deal with that in due time. Uh, but during this time when the airlines were reporting an average of around $700,000 a year in losses, the NYPD and a specially organized commission formed by the city at one point in the early 70s to study this crime spree estimated the number at $10 million a year in losses. So the scam was working out pretty good. And this was all five crime families, the big major crime families in New York City at the time. Some to a larger extent than others, but all of the crime families were using JFK International as their own personal ATM machine. And that was until the Lufthansa heist 
on December the 11th, 1978. The aftermath of which brought so much heat on the mafia and the five families, the FBI swoops in. Every newspaper in the city has daily coverage, updates about the latest in the investigation into the Lufthansa heist. To the point where it was almost the wrong situation to get involved in because now your money spigot is going to be cut off. Uh, Part of this was because even though the uh, planning and perpetrating of the Lufthansa heist went off without a hitch, one guy screwed up and ultimately screwed himself in the process and just about everybody else involved in the crime except ominously Jimmy the Gent Burke. So as I've mentioned, we've got three parts of today's story. Here's the planning part of the story. The planning began back in the summer of 1978. A pair of Lufthansa employees had figured out a way to get around the multi-tiered security system in the Lufthansa cargo building. We're not going to do a whole lot of names today, I promise. But one that we need to talk about is a guy named Louis Werner. He was one of those two men. And he would end up being the only person to ever serve time in prison for his part in this heist. Werner was one of the two guys who put their heads together, came up with the plan. This was back in August of 78. But Werner and his buddy, they needed more men to pull off the job than they felt comfortable reaching out to or exposing the details of the plan to. So the idea kind of wafted in the breeze for a while. And by Thanksgiving, they'd kind of given up on the idea. But then Werner had gotten into a, he was a a degenerate gambler, Werner, Louis Werner. He was underwater to his bookie to the term of around $20,000 in 78, and that's over hundred grand today. Now, the bookie that Werner bet with was not in the mafia, but he was friends with Henry Hill and Jimmy Burke. And so Werner is trying to get out from under this debt to his, his gambling debt. And so he tells the bookie, and the bookie goes to Henry and to Jimmy, and he says, I got a scheme you got to hear about. Uh, And they were both associates, not made members of the Lucchese crime family, but Burke and Hill were associates. They were half Irish, both of them, so they could never be made men in the mafia. But they were good earners for the Lucchese crime family. So when they spoke, the bosses listened. And Werner knew about these shipments of these millions of dollars coming back from Europe because he worked there. He saw the cargo manifests. Actually, Werner had been stealing from Lufthansa for years. Uh, Two years before, in 1976, he had taken $22,000, and everybody in the cargo terminal knew that it was him, but they couldn't prove it. So he never got into trouble for it. He didn't even lose his job. They just let it go. Yeah, and his job was handling these high-value shipments. So fast forward two years later to 78, He's $20,000 in the bucket to his bookie, and he knew how to find out when a big ship... There was no regular schedule for these big shipments of cash, but he could find out four or five days in advance. And he knew where the money was kept until the armored trucks came to get it to take it to Manhattan. He also knew how to access the secure location where the money was stored. And he knew how to hold up the paperwork on that shipment in order to see that the money did not leave in an armored truck on Friday afternoon as it normally would. It would sit in this locked up area all weekend long. And one story that I read about Louis Werner and his bookie insinuated that the bookie purposely let Werner run up this gambling debt because he knew he had taken, he knew Werner had taken the money two years before 
So he knew he was capable of being a thief. And he was thinking, maybe if I let this guy get underwater deep enough, he'll come to me with some plan to steal some more money. They didn't know it was going to be this much money. But that's eventually exactly what happened. So Werner gave away just enough of the information that he knew to to his bookie who passed along the information ultimately to Burke, who agreed that the plan seemed doable, and he put together this team of criminals. They planned the heist, and they waited for Werner to tell them, hey, there's a shipment coming in. I'm going to hold it up. You guys have this window of time to get it done. So on Friday, December the 8th, 1978, Werner held up this shipment. He Somehow he convinced the, Brooks, uh, the, the Brinks guards to leave without loading this money into the armored trucks to take it to Manhattan. And he called Burke, and he said, you guys have until Monday morning at 3 a.m. to pull off this plan. And the robbery had to begin at exactly 3 o'clock on Monday morning. And I'm about to tell you why right after these words from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you in part by A&W Outdoor Services, located right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. It's almost time to tidy up the deck, clean the gutters, and spruce up the yard and landscaping around your home, lake house, or creekside cabin. And who better to do that for you than the professional crew at A&W Outdoor Services? Call 256-706-7964 and let Alan and his crew do all the hard work for you. So you can spend your time this summer enjoying your piece of Cherokee County in clean, carefree comfort. Call Alan today for a free estimate or to get on the A&W Spring Schedule before it's full. That's A&W Outdoor Services at 256-706-7964. It's time to plan your best vacation ever right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. Many outdoor adventures await. Wet a hook in beautiful Wast Lake, swing away at Cherokee Pines Golf Club, climb to the best view around at Cherokee Rock Village, hike the Little River Canyon National Preserve, take a days-long splash at Pirates Bay Water Park, and much, much more. The Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism has a full list of recommended lodging facilities, RV sites, and campgrounds, and they're all set up to suit your vacation needs, whatever they may be. So come see us from wherever you are. And if you already live right here in lovely Cherokee County, plan your summer 2023 staycation with the Chamber by visiting Cherokee-Chamber.org. Thank you to all of our wonderful sponsors. And Scott, where are we going from Okay, here? so we've told you about the planning of the heist. Now let's get to the crime itself. Okay. And like we said before the break, the crime had to get underway at 3 a.m. on Monday, December the 11th, 1978. And it started with a blood-curdling cry for help in a desperate cargo area at the JFK International Terminal. That's when a security guard at the Lufthansa building, which sits on the extreme northern edge of the property, away from the main uh, action at the airport, he heard a cry from outside in the parking area. Now, against his better judgment, this guard walked up to a black Ford Econoline van and asked the first man he saw if he needed help. Instead of getting a response, he had a handgun shoved into his face and was told to get into the back of the van. When he climbed into the back of the van, there was another guy that was already there with his uh, head bleeding profusely. That was the guy who had screamed for help a few seconds earlier. He was another Lutons employee who had been thrown into the back of the van. And he needed help, medical help, but he wouldn't get it for about an hour and a half. Instead, the two employees were hustled into the Lufthansa building, pushed and shoved into the cafeteria by three men 
dressed in black with ski masks on and shotgun, sawed off shotguns and, and handguns. They were thrown into the cafeteria where every other member of the security team at Lufthansa was sitting at a table having lunch. And that's why the crime had to start at three o'clock because that's when the third shift went to lunch. And Lewis Warner knew that. Okay. So they're all ordered to sit on the floor at gunpoint. And there's a little subterfuge here because there's only one other guy left in the building now. And he's the third shift supervisor. And he's the guy with the keys to the vault. So they've got to get this guy to come down a flight of stairs into the cafeteria without suspecting that anything is going on. And they do. They give him some story. They get one of the guys that's being held in the cafeteria to call up and say, hey, there's a phone call from Germany. You got to come down and take the call. So he comes down. He gets a gun shoved in his face. And it doesn't take this third shift supervisor long to realize that these guys know an awful lot about how the security system works at the Lufthansa cargo building at JFK International. Mm-hmm. He's thinking, huh, inside job. Yeah. And naturally, his thoughts turned to Lewis Werner, who everybody knew had stolen the 22 grand two years before and gotten away with it. Store that nugget in a cool, dry place. You're going to need it again. And I'm sure everybody was a little bit sour grapes that he steals that amount of money and then gets to keep his job. Yeah. And- yeah, and so didn't share like, it. Mm, probably him. Blew it all at the track, or you know, betting on the Jets, which was a terrible idea in 1978. <laughs> still is, <laughs> or the Giants, and still is today. <laughs> okay, so the supervisor he decides not to be a hero. He's going to do what these guys say. He'll let the authorities figure it out later, right? And besides, Burke has already learned during his decades of hijacking trucks that it's usually a pretty good idea to threaten the family of the person. Because that's the first thing they did was grab the license. And that's another way that everybody thinks this has got to be Burke's crew doing this because that's his MO. Mm -hmm. And the tactic certainly worked on the third shift supervisor. So the high value security area at the uh, Lufthansa building has an outer door and an inner door. There's two keys, two locks on each door have to be turned in a certain order. If the two doors are ever open at the same time, a silent alarm goes off back at the Port Authority headquarters, and these guys knew that, so supervisor's going, fucking Werner. He's up to it again. But anyway, so the guy decides not to be, the whole thing goes off without a hitch, right? Long story short, they turn the two keys, open the outer door, get into that room, shut the door behind him, open the inner door. That's where the money is. Bring it back out, shut that door, open the other one, you load the van, you drive away. They they took 72 15-pound cartons of untraceable money because this is used money. This isn't like the D.B. Cooper case or the, uh, the, the Lindbergh baby kidnapping where they, they knew the serial numbers of the money. This is used money that's been overseas. It's randomly sorted. No way to trace it. Uh-huh. Another thing that was a dead giveaway that somebody knew exactly what they were doing. The robbery was over at 4.21 p.m., an hour and 21 minutes after it began. And following the final orders given to them by the departing hoodlums, the security guards waited for 10 minutes before calling for help. Another tidbit that Werner knew was that the Port Authority could have the entire airport shut down in 90 seconds. So they said, don't move for 10 minutes. I don't know how you trust somebody not to do that. It's kind of like in Raising Arizona when they tell the old-timer, count up to 825 and back down to zero. Anyway. Cut that. Uh, so the robbers drove to an auto repair shop in Brooklyn. They met up with Burke. Burke had not been part of the crew. He's waiting for them at the auto repair shop. 
They grab the money out of the uh, of the van, toss it into the trunks of two cars, drive away into the night. Which it's uh, always amazing how little space a bunch of money takes up. Yeah, yeah, it was fifteen pounds, and it was I don't know exactly how much money was in each box. We could do the math, uh, but I'm curious which of you two lovely ladies would like to take a guess at what did not happen next? Because now, as long as they get rid of the black Ford van. They're home free. I'm going to guess they kept that van. Yeah. (laughs) When the New York Times reported the robbery the next day on December the 12th, 1978, the initial estimate was that $3 million in cash had been taken and $2 million in jewelry. That was the initial estimate. But uh, two days later, the uh, the total was revised. It was $5 million in cash and about $850,000 in jewelry. At $5.8 million, largest robbery in U.S. history at the time. Mm -hmm. Now, this robbery pulled in several law enforcement agencies, the, the New York Port Authority we've mentioned, uh, the FBI, the detectives from the NYPD, and these law enforcement agencies quickly realized the same thing that third shift supervisor knew, inside job. Each of these agencies uh, talked to their snitches out on the streets, and the results quickly pointed to several particular names, prominent among them, Jimmy Burke and the Roberts Lounge crew. And like I said before, every cop in town knew that Jimmy Burke made his money stealing from the airport. And now begins the brief saga of the black Ford van. Stephen Stax Edwards. He was the man who was supposed to immediately after the robbery, drive the black Ford van to New Jersey to be compacted and destroyed at an auto salvage yard owned by, wait for it, John Gotti. The Teflon Don himself. Now, we're going to talk more about him in a future installment, but store that. All right, so the Black Ford van, which is stolen plates, uh, instead of being driven to New Jersey by Stax Edwards, was left sitting for two days, parked illegally beside a fire hydrant in front of his girlfriend's apartment. What? Yeah. Just so, so much wrong. And so Stax Edwards, much sooner than later, became the first person involved in the Lufthansa heist to be gotten rid of by Jimmy Burke who it turns out was not so much of a gentleman after all. Yeah, they cannot. Yeah, now poor Stax, who is portrayed in Goodfellas by a young Samuel L. Jackson, by the way, uh, he died of um, lead poisoning, mafia-style lead poisoning, if you know what I mean. When Burke's men found him a few days later, they got to him before anybody else because the cops already had found the van, hauled it in. They found fingerprints, shoe prints, and they even found the wallet of one of those employees that they had thrown in the bag. So there's no doubt they've got the right van. Oh. And they know quickly that Stax Edwards is a known associate of Jimmy Burke. And he's the idiot who left the van illegally parked. And it was common knowledge that uh, Edwards was an associate of Burke's because he hung out at Robert's Lounge. He was kind of a wannabe gangster hanger on and he wanted to be a blues musician. And so sometimes Burke let him play the guitar at Robert's Lounge. The pieces are starting to come together. A lot easier than that puzzle you gave me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, And that's why Stax Edwards got the job. He, he, I don't think Burke trusted him enough to be involved in the heist, but you know what? I'll pay you 50 grand. All you have to do is get rid of the van when the robbery is over. Oops. One job. Yep. He had one job. By the time the FBI figured out that Stax Edwards and his associate uh, association with Jimmy Burke, it was too late. Uh, a week had passed. The idiot who had the one job 
but instead decided to drive to his girlfriend's house, go on a multi-day drug binge uh, in the lovely Garden State of New Jersey. So I'm told I've never been there. Uh, instead, Snacks is cold in the ground. Five days later and five bullets worth of graveyard dead. Uh, in fact, uh, Jimmy Burke even helped to pay for the funeral. He kind of felt bad that he had to whack Stacks, uh, Stacks but you got to do what you got to do. Next on Jimmy Burke's to do away with list was the bookie who had brought the heist plan to Burke in the first place. In the weeks after the heist, Burke held on to most of the money because he, much like the FBI agent we heard from earlier, thought that these idiots were just too damned stupid to not spend it all and get caught. But the gambling bookie, he wanted his money, damn it, to the point where he begged for it one too many times. And so the bookie was murdered and dismembered on January the 6th, 1979, just less than a month after the crime. Yikes. And as of this morning, because I Googled to check, none of his body parts have yet turned up. And uh, pun intended, you could probably get pretty good odds on that bookie never being found. Uh, Less than two weeks later, yet another member of the Roberts Lounge crew who had uh, participated in the heist turned up dead. He was hogtied and frozen solid in an abandoned meat freezer truck. In March of 1979, three more people with direct or indirect ties to the heist turned up dead. Two of them, a husband and wife, who Burke decided he needed to whack after the husband bought his wife a brand new pink Cadillac in anticipation of receiving his share of the heist loot. Two months later, another pair of Burke associates turned up dead, execution style. They had both been employees at JFK International who had been involved in some aspect of the robbery. Is Burke pulling the trigger on all of this? No, no, he's got, he, he's got a guy. He's got, he's got a guy for that. Okay. Yeah. He's got a guy. So whoever this guy is, is a serial killer. Pretty much. Yeah, at this point. I'm going to tell you about him in a minute. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now, keep in mind that everybody in the city, the FBI, the NYPD, they knew that Burke and his gang probably responsible for the robbery. But as one agent said in a documentary I watched this week, uh, knowing it in your heart and proving it in a court of law, two different things. Absolutely. Yeah. So the string of murders committed by Burke served two purposes. One was to break ties with anybody who was involved in the crime who might give him away. And secondly, fewer hands in the cookie jar meant more money for Jimmy Burke. So this is the guy they called the gent. And he was, after all, think about it. He was heartless, ruthless, uh, ruthless, murdering associate member of the Lucchese crime family who had been a criminal for pretty much his entire life. Now, the Lufthansa employee who ended up with five stitches in his head from a beating, he took the, uh, he was taken to the police department, went through some mug shots, and he recognized one of the guys because that idiot had taken off his ski mask at one point during the robbery. And that idiot was... Tommy Simone. That is the character played by Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. That's kind of a mix of a couple of guys in the movie, but one of them was Tommy uh, Simone. Most annoying character in Goodfellas. What about Oscar for Best Supporting it's, Actor? It's why he's so yeah, good at it. Exactly. I mean, it's just so annoying, but, but he just nails it. Uh, and Simone was actually the guy who put the bullets in Stax Edwards. Uh, unfortunately for the FBI and Tommy Simone. DeSimone got himself whacked in late January of 1979 by John Gotti. Uh, It turns out that DeSimone had killed a member of the Gambino crime family without permission, which is portrayed in the film, 
uh, Goodfellas. And Gotti and the other guys in the Gambino family did not like that. And so Tommy DeSimone got himself disappeared. Um, so the FBI did not have enough evidence to pin the crime on the Roberts Lounge crew, as we've mentioned. They spent months following them, tapped all of the payphones in the area around the bar, put listening devices in the cars of some of these criminals, and still this case went unsolved for decades. And officially, it remains unsolved today. How is that possible? Well, they knew who did it, but they didn't have enough evidence to prove it. Just couldn't. Except for Lewis Werner. Okay. They, they got him. Okay. He was convicted in June of 1979 for his part in the robbery and was sent to prison for 15 years and fined $25,000. And Werner kept his mouth shut. He did not rat out on the mafia. Smart. Yeah. And eventually his uh, sentence was reduced to five years. Okay. And then he was given a new identity and disappeared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lickety split, yeah. I'm guessing. No doubt. I'll buy some clothes when I get there. That I mean, so he, you said this in the beginning, I think, but he's the only one who ever did any. Only guy who ever did a minute. But he didn't find anybody out, so. Mm-hmm. He should be okay. That's right. But still in the witness protection program, yeah. apparently. Probably, yeah. yeah. And I had done a quick Google on that Roberts Lounge. Yeah. Still and, there? Well, probably not because okay. all it says from Wikipedia is that in June of 1980, they excavated the basement and uh, found bones. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. And oh, there, there's where all the bodies were. Well, mm-hmm. and they think um, that that's where DeSimone is, but they... Never did prove it. Okay. okay. They said the bones were thought to be uh, two of Burke's associates, one of which was Thomas DeSimone. Wow. All right. Maybe so. So, all right. Now we're going to fast forward to 2014. Okay. A new generation of true crime fans heard the word Lufthansa in the news again because an elderly down on his luck gangster named Vincent Asaro was indicted by a Brooklyn grand jury for his alleged role in the heist 36 years later at the time. Now, this guy was a man whose name had never been mentioned before in any of the literature or the stories or anything about the Lufthansa heist until this happened. And at the, at the trial, briefly, Asaro's cousin, another mafia old-timer, he testified against Asaro at the trial, but a jury of six men and six women in Brooklyn thought that he was being scapegoated and they let him walk. He was, uh, he was acquitted. To this day, no one knows for sure what happened to the money from the Lufthansa heist. Most likely, the higher-ups in the Lucchese crime family, they got their payoff right away. And then Jimmy is supposed to dole out the rest to these other guys, but he keeps knocking them off, so he keeps it. One of the stories goes that Burke's uh, daughters ended up. He stored it in safety deposit boxes in banks around the city, and after he went to prison, they slowly spent all of the money over the years, and it's probably gone now. All right. All the closure we're going to get from this is this. And speaking of Henry Hill, by the way, that's the Ray Liotta character from Goodfellas, right? Hill was arrested during a drug sting operation in 1980, and he eventually agreed to testify against Jimmy Burke and their mafia boss in the, uh, the Lucchese family. His name was Paul Vario. That's the guy who's played by Paul Sorvino in Goodfellas. But Hill's testimony that got them into hot water had nothing to do with the Lufthansa robbery. Still, though, Hill became convinced that Burke and Vario were looking to whack him because of what he knew. And so Hill decided not to spend 20 years in prison for his drug crime arrest. Mm-hmm. 
And he instead told the, the cops, the FBI, what he knew about the Roberts Lounge crew and their past dealings, sort of. Um, some of Hill's information about his former partners turned out to be bogus. Hill was constantly frustrating his FBI handlers by telling wild stories that turned out not to be exactly true. Uh, months after Hill became an informant, entered the witness protection program, Jimmy Burke was arrested for a probation violation. He was hanging out with some other ex-con, and that's a violation of your probation. So he was arrested on April Fool's Day of 1980, April the 1st. And regarding Henry Hill, one of the FBI agents always said that Hill had the mentality of an eight-year-old. He said he was incapable of keeping the most basic details straight. Often Hill would contradict himself in the space of just minutes and then profess not to understand when the FBI agent voiced his frustration with the discrepancies. Do you think he was just messing with him or do you think he had some... There's a little bit of both probably. Uh, Some like ADHD going on or something. I think if you live a life of crime, you don't have a problem or maybe you do have a problem separating the truth from the fiction because your, your life is lies anyway. Mm. You're, you're lying to your wife and your girlfriend and your other girlfriend and the cops and your boss and whoever else. But no one's accusing him of being brilliant enough to pull this off. This is just, you know. The assumption is that, yeah. He's, he's right. lacking other than, instead of being smart, he's, he's lacking. That's it's right. It's not. Yeah. Okay. Um. And we're kind of winding this story down now. We've got a few minutes to go, but we're getting near the end here. So if you're still with us, thanks for sticking around. <laughs> so one day during the FBI interrogation of the competency challenged Henry Hill, he let it slip during questioning something the FBI had never heard about before, didn't know about. And as a result of that revelation, Jimmy Burke, who was already in custody, and four others were charged with, they were indicted in July of 1981 for conspiring to fix college basketball games. Hmm. The subsequent trial, which included a former Boston College University star player, ended with all of the charged defendants being found guilty of racketeering and sports bribery during the 1978-79 college basketball season. I put that one on the list too. That might be a good one for next basketball season. If you're interested in the story... In 2014, ESPN produced a 30 for 30 series documentary called Playing for the Mob, which tells this story. And actually, the film was narrated by Ray Liotta uh, and was set up so that the viewer needed to watch Goodfellas beforehand to get all of the references. I have not seen it. I'm going to watch it. Okay, so that's a, there's a there's a rainy afternoon for you. Watch yeah. Goodfellas and then watch the 30 for 30. Exactly. All right, so we're really winding down now. In January of 1982, 52-year-old Jimmy Burke was given a 20-year sentence sent to federal prison for the bribery in the, the, the basketball scheme. Two years later, Hill testified against Burke again, and he got life for murder. They, they finally tied, not one of the Lufthansa guys that got knocked off. This was some earlier murder that Burke was, got hung on Burke because of Hill's testimony. Now, I mentioned Paul Vario. That was the Paul Sarvino character in Goodfellas. He was their boss. He was probably the guy who profited most from the Lufthansa heist. He was also sent to prison based on testimony that was provided by Henry Hill. He died in prison in May of 1988 at the age of 73. Burke died of cancer in 1996 while serving a life sentence eight years before he would have been eligible for parole. 
Henry Hill, who had become something of a celebrity after the movie Goodfellas came out in 1990, he died of heart disease in Los Angeles in June of 2012, the day before his 69th birthday. Mm. You guys ever heard of a movie from 1990 called My Blue Heaven? No. It's written by yeah, it Nora has, Ephron. Uh, it has um, Steve Martin. Yep. And, um, oh, the little dude from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Rick Moranis. Rick, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Joan Cusack is in it as well. Oh, uh, yeah. She's uh, Rick Moranis' wife, I that guess, That is right? the story of Henry Hill after he entered the Witness Protection Shut Program. Up. Swear to God. It's, it's really funny. Nick Pileggi, who wrote Wise Guy, based on all the interviews that he conducted with Henry Hill, that's the book that was made into Goodfellas. Nick Pileggi married to Nora Ephron. Okay. So she took all the information that Pileggi couldn't use. Yeah. Wrote the script for My Blue Heaven. She obviously loves Steve Martin. She uses him a lot. And uh, he plays the gangster. Yeah. Yeah. He's the Henry Hill character who's renamed. But based on some of the weird, crazy things that Henry Hill did, because he's still living this life of crime. (laughs) While he's in the witness protection program, it's not long at all after the real Henry Hill enters the program before he's arrested for dealing drugs again. <laughs> um, but the uh, the film My Blue Heaven came out in July. I'm sorry, August of 1990. One month later, Goodfellas comes out. So Henry Hill has two movies about him at the box office in the late summer of 1990 at the same time. Very different. Crazy. Portrayals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) you just kind of turned Steve Martin loose and let him work. Oh, my gosh. I watched The Jerk this morning. I'd forgotten how Steve Martin's great. She also uses him in a Christmas movie called Mixed Nuts. Yes. And it's hilarious. That's a great movie. And she also did, uh, she's uh, When Harry Met Sally. Oh, yeah. Sleepless in Seattle. You've heard of Nora Ephron, or you've at least watched her. Steve Martin's not in those, but. But um, yeah, but that's who Nora Ephron was. Yeah. Is. I'm, I'm not sure if she's still around. So there's one last story about Henry Hill. The, the, the story goes that while filming the movie Goodfellas, Ray Liotta got access to a bunch of the old FBI tapes of his interrogation sessions, Hills, and he would listen to them while he drove to the studio to try and get his speech pattern and, and just to learn as much as he could about Henry Hill. Uh, and just finally to conclude our story today, Lewis Werner, again, was the only person ever convicted of the Lufthansa theft. And in addition, nobody was ever arrested in connection with any of those eight or nine people who got murdered for their part so that Burke could keep all of that money for himself. Today, 53 years later, most of the bodies are still missing, along with every last dime of the $5.8 million in cash and jewelry that was at the time the largest history, uh, the largest robbery in the history of the United States. And that is the end of our first episode from twenty four uh, from twenty twenty four. Twenty fourteen? Oh my god! I've been talking twenty fourteen. Sorry, twenty twenty four. Season four, episode one is wow. out of the door. So, so there was crime. But there's also death too. So yeah. you couldn't say we didn't bring you death right out of the gate. <sighs> Sorry. In twenty twenty four. So a yeah. lot of it. Well, maybe we can do something funny next week. No, that's not what we no, do. That's here. not, that's really not what, we do. what we do. Say so. something nice about us on your podcast platform of choice. You can visit our website at truecrimeoneasystreet.com. You can yes. find out about us. You can order a t shirt. I think there's a couple of those uh shoved behind a filing cabinet somewhere here in the office. So we'll <laughs> find one for you if you want one. Uh what else? Um that's it. Is that's that it? Are we done? We're mm-hmm. done. Good night, everybody. Mm-hmm.